Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Everybody Fit Podcast and today we've got Hannah on with us. Hi Hannah. Oh yeah, thank you for having me. Oh, thank you so much for coming on and thank you for rescheduling as well because poor Kim wasn't very well last week. So no, it's, it's great that we've had to reschedule a couple of people and everyone's been really understanding. Um, so you are a weight inclusive trainer um, and you do online, it's predominantly online training that you do and, and that gives you access to coach people all over the world. So do you want to tell people a little bit more about yourself and your work and your background? Yeah, sure. Um, I've been a PT for four years now um, and pre-pandemic I was working in the city out of a gym and then a private studio there. And then during the pandemic, like most trainers, moved my training online. I just really liked it. Um, so I never went back. Um, and lots of my clients were still working from home or working flexibly. So they were still really chuffed to be able to train in their own homes where they could shower in their own showers and then get ready for work. Um, so it just works really well. And as you said, now I'm not just limited to to the sort of the city of London I can train people all over the world and have been really lucky to train people in America and I'm quite jealous to train people when they're on holiday in exotic locations um but it's it's really lovely that it just takes on more of a sort of lifestyle approach then rather than a um, like a really formal exercise situation mm-hmm. and do, am I am right in thinking do you just train women or do you train anybody and everybody I mean I always say my business is for women but doesn't exclude anyone else um (laughs) actually the only men that I train at the moment come with their partners (laughs) um and I train them all together uh but I used to train others just yeah my business is predominantly for women yeah I like that that, um how you said that it's a lifestyle that your your training sort of fits in with other people's lifestyles and and I think that's really important when it comes to exercise is you know sometimes so that it's not so regimented especially if somebody has had a difficult relationship with it I think it's important to allow it almost to do intuitively and and fit in to when they know when they're going to feel good rather than than set times exactly I mean I always say exercise should fit into your life your your exercise shouldn't fit around no, have I got that the right round? Exercise should fit into your life. Uh, your life shouldn't fit, shouldn't have to fit around your exercise. Um, mm. Otherwise, it's not, it's not going to last. As you said, I always think of it in sort of intuitive terms on like a pendulum. If one side is over-exercising and one side is not moving at all, the only place a sort of pendulum can stop and stay for any long period of time is somewhere in the middle. Yeah. And actually the middle ground is a great place to be, whether it's in terms of eating um, and eating intuitively or in terms of exercise and it takes a few swings back and forth to land there and it doesn't mean that you'll stay there you might swing out swing one way or the other every so often but it's just a comfortable and quite easy place to stay yeah I think so too so you uh you studied music didn't you I yeah do. and you uh, sorry I, just talking all about you and you I know that you perform in a choir. Is that like community choir or? Um, so I studied music music undergrad and postgrad in Canterbury and 
uh, I still sing with uh, an all-female um, chamber choir down there, uh, which I absolutely love. I'm actually going to Lisbon in a couple of weeks on tour with oh, them, wow. which will be really nice. Um, and a lot of people then say, oh, well, how did you go from music and then land in fitness? Um, and I sort of think it's, there's a lot of people who have gone from a sort of musical theatre or performancey training and come into fitness um because it's performance at the end of the day when I'm teaching a class or I'm doing something like this I'm not my normal me I'm quite shy really um you sort of become a sort of performer <laughs> um and that I definitely wouldn't have the confidence to do without my musical training um my intention was to go into something musical I just landed in a sort of community music job that was based in an office that was amazing I absolutely loved it just didn't really like being in an office I sort of thought I was in my early 20s so I might as well train and see what happens and I can always go back to music I just haven't so, what, so, so was it the um it's just the singing um with regards to the music so you're a you're a singer yeah, I'm a singer and I conduct as well. I studied classical music at university um, and then I moved into research for my master's. Wow. Um, but yeah, I love it. It's a great escape. It's a oh, great yeah, escape from definitely. Everything. Yeah, well, what, what does it, people normally say? You stick your headphones in and you either listen to a podcast or you listen to music because it's the best way to zone out and relax. And yeah I don't don't really know many people who are at the gym on their own who are listening to the music in the gym they're always listening to their own because I'm that person you I listen, listen to the music, music in, the, in gym. the gym mainly because actually I quite like not listening to anything while I work out yeah because um, otherwise I end up singing along or getting distracted or looking up the song lyrics that I didn't hear or whatever um and I just quite like the opportunity just to abs- have nothing. I think there's, I, I spend so much of my time either in front of a screen or like I'll go for a walk and listen to music or listen to a podcast or whatever. And like the, my gym time is then my time where, apart from annoying gym music, there's nothing, absolutely nothing. And it's quite yeah. nice. I wish I could do that, but we have the annoying gym music plus the annoying class music that they play over the gym music. Uh, uh, and that 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 just I can't deal with the two different sounds, yeah, two different really sounds going on at the same time. <laughs> it's really frustrating. So you work um as well. You teach classes with um different groups, don't you? And um, so and that's giving you access to people again all around the world. So tell us a bit more about that. Yeah. So I teach um a few different classes. I teach one volunteer class for the movement charity um which is a fantastic charity that offers um free access to exercise for women who have experienced multiple disadvantages um and they're fantastic set up by a fellow uh, weight inclusive pt um and i also teach my own membership classes uh, which is the happily healthy membership and that's uh, all online classes just with none of the diet rubbish am I allowed to swear yeah none of the diet (laughs) shit and no talks or no talk of weight loss or anything and plenty of variations and that just gives it's just a nice sort of safe space to exercise Mm -hmm. in whatever way works for you um so that's all all online and super flexible 
Uh, and then I teach classes for a company called Stretching the City, which, as the name suggests, used to be um, solely sending trainers into workplaces and offices, providing mainly yoga um, and mindfulness and things like that. But they also do HIT. Um, and I then took on an online class for them, which uh, is an office both in London and L.A., so I teach hip for them and I teach some mindfulness for them as well. It's just great though, like teaching a heart, logging on at five and not knowing whether to say good morning or good afternoon. <laughs> it's yeah, it's it's all fun and games. Gosh. So tell us about the mindfulness. What do you do you usually have like specific things that you focus on each time? What what does that involve? Yeah, I mean, I'm a I'm a pretty new meditation teacher. I qualified this year. Um, and I'd started my own my own practice, mainly with meditation and breath work when I was at university, which I always think is really recent. It's nearly 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I have always now I realize always struggled with anxiety. And also as a singer, I found breath work really useful. And I noticed that when I was singing, I wouldn't panic because I was really in control of my breath even if I was doing a performance or an exam or something really stressful, wouldn't be panicking because I knew when I was breathing in and when I was breathing out and it was all under control. So um, I started a breathwork practice then um, and was sort of as I think everyone is with meditation, sort of dipped in and then didn't do it for six months and then refound it again and re remembered it was great and really useful. Um, and that practice became a bit more regular in lockdown when let's face it we had nothing else to do so you might as well meditate um and it was also really useful so I decided that I would train uh, to be a meditation and breathwork teacher and I love it I love it I've always preferred uh teaching things to practicing them myself for instance I qualified as a spin instructor I hate going to spin classes I dread them absolutely adore teaching them um <laughs> And it, I find meditation is similar. I find it much easier to get into that really calm headspace when I'm teaching than when I'm doing. Um, and breath work is, is the same. So those mindfulness classes will be a combination of meditation techniques and breath work techniques, depending on either what the client's requested or what I know from what they've told me about their day might be useful for them. Also, depending on what sort of experience and level they, they are. Um, but the aim with mindfulness and with exercise is just to to let people go in a slightly better headspace than they came to you. Mm. And that's, it sort of sounds really simplistic, but that's always my aim. Yeah, gosh, wouldn't it be amazing if that was every, every single <laughs> fitness trainer? Not to leave feeling broken. It's just, yeah, <laughs> or messed up in the head, like, seriously. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, sometimes I have a couple of clients who I know and they're very, they love their fitness and they also love that feeling of being pushed really hard until they're knackered. Yeah. Um, so I know that that's what they want. And some weeks obviously we'll step it back if they're not not in the mood or don't quite have the energy, but they quite like leaving feeling, <laughs> feeling yeah. almost a little bit broken. Yeah yeah I think it's it's like anything you've got to adapt it for the person like quite often and I've, I've vocalized this a lot quite often people ask me if I do yoga because I, I really enjoy Pilates 
I cannot stand yoga purely because of the fact that the yoga classes I've been to, they start off by telling me to just clear my thoughts and think about what I've got to do today and what I've done today. And I'm like, I am here to not think about these yeah. things. And I just, I feel more stressed. It's too slow. It's where I need something that keeps me moving. Whereas I know for a lot of people, just that slower pace really, really works. And I'm the same with meditation. I I cannot for the life of me, I can't sit and do it. And I've I've tried really, really hard, but it's funny you should say that about the singing because um, I, I've had anxiety, suffered with panic attacks from a very, very young age. Um, and I remember I would get the train from university back to my parents and it's like 45 minutes and sometimes it'd be so jammed, like so many people, that that enclosed space, I would have a panic attack and I would sit and sit sing to myself under my breath because that does calm you down and it regulates your breath but I think it was probably a little bit weird that there's this girl sat in the corner singing in the jungle (laughs) I mean great choice of song Um, but that's the thing isn't it and I it's interesting that you say that you can't meditate or you're bad at meditating I think that's where sort of meditation is almost maybe a little bit behind fitness in terms of how well we we are familiar with it mm-hmm. um but that rhetoric of like not doing something until you're really good at it is a really common thing that that we will talk against in fitness and it's the same in meditation one you can only get better at something if you practice it and also like letting go of the rules so if exercise can be 5 minutes it doesn't have to be an hour why does meditation have to be a whole class could be 2 minutes it could be one breath. Um, it could be, you know, really, really short periods of time and then build it up or just keep with really, really short periods of time. That doesn't matter if that's what fits in to your lifestyle. Um, I think there's no right or wrong way to do it. The, it. Meditation is just the practice of trying to still your mind. And that doesn't mean that you have no thoughts. That's never what happens inevitably you sit down to meditate and then you think oh have we got that onion that we need for dinner oh I don't think I bought I don't think I picked that thing up in the shop or whatever because you suddenly have that moment to stop and think and mm-hmm. we never have those moments in our day um but then it's about sort of acknowledging those thoughts as they come into your brain and then going okay that that's there we'll think about that later off it goes um it's not about having no thoughts it's about managing and slowing or even sometimes just noticing your thoughts I think that's that's a really powerful way of looking at it because I think the sort of the the view is is you have to sit there and your mind is clear and and I suppose a lot of the time the language that we use around it doesn't help in terms of the fact that it's like clear your mind and it's like when someone like someone like me that's got like pretty sure I've got ADHD so like it's just yeah constantly all day fleeting and honestly I can't concentrate on one thing at a time let alone not thinking (laughs) but I mean I I do try but I think a lot of the time when I've listened to um you know various different apps one of the things that they'll say is um 
sort of let the thoughts sort of come and go like clouds yeah. and I always find that visualization for me really really good and, and actually just picture the thought on a cloud and yeah visualization can yeah. be a really useful technique just just to sort of give your brain something to do give it mm. something to occupy itself um and also I think it's about the prep so if you think about exercise you would warm up or do some sort of some sort of something to get you into your session right and it's the same with meditation like breath work is traditionally the like the precursor to meditation you do breath work in order to bring your mind to a calmer space or um somewhere of stillness so you can you can be ready to meditate in that way mm -hmm. but I think yeah quite often we go in cold turkey and just think right I've got five minutes I'll meditate now and then you spend two and a half of those going why isn't it working why is this not working for me um whereas actually if you've got five minutes spend two minutes doing some breathwork techniques whether it's just the simplest technique just slowing your exhale down making your exhale slightly longer than your inhale mm -hmm. it's going to calm you down it's going to slow you down and then you, you know you might get a three minute meditation yeah. because your brain's sort of ready and prepared and primed and warmed up to meditate yeah, so do you do meditation with your clients sort of at the end of sessions or do you, do you even have clients that just want to do meditation or and I would imagine you've got some PT clients that aren't interested in it at all yeah how, how does it work in uh yes is the answer to that all of the above um <laughs> I have some clients who I don't have any any clients who come to me solely for a meditation session um, and I've always viewed it as a sort of add-on or something in your toolbox um, I always refer to mental health as you need a toolkit you can't just have one thing and your toolkit might be meditation it might be exercise it might also be medication or therapy and you need sort of a balance of all of those things that work for you um and meditation is is in that toolkit and I have some clients where if they come to me and they mention that perhaps they're more anxious or they're just their minds are feeling busy or they're really knackered and a whole session of movement isn't going to be right for them and I know that they're up for it and they want to <laughs> um, then we might do maybe a half and half or a sort of longer bit of meditation at the end um, I had a client who decided she still wanted to have her session in that 40 degree heat wave because she's a legend and she wanted to stay on her routine otherwise she she knew that or she didn't know what she was going to do in the heat she was like I need to maybe like talk to someone on the 40 degree day please um and we ended up doing a whole whole session of breath work and lots of like cooling and slowing your heart rate down techniques um because we knew that the heat would make her more anxious so it sort of came into its own on those heat wave weeks definitely um but I think it can be a really con uh, sort of complementary practice to exercise um and it's it's just nice to sort of feel like you're using your body in a way that you know isn't gonna spend any energy so on a really low energy day it's it's a nice way to to get in touch with your body and to check in without using up valuable energy 
I am um, I do include some meditations at the end of some of my sessions as well actually I do sort of some group classes and I'll do um sort of usually about 30 minutes 30 more 30 minutes to 40 of, of um the class and then we we finish off with sometimes a bit of a visualization or a, just to kind of allow them to sort of practice that gratitude towards what they've achieved um and I think that's sometimes I find that's really really important and it sounds quite cheesy and a bit like oh finish the exercise I just want to get on with my day but actually allowing yourself to have that little bit of time at the end really appreciating what your body's enabled you to do and just appreciating those endorphins or, or you know or whatever you want to appreciate I find that that can be really really powerful yeah especially when you've been through whether it's a class or a workshop or whatever it is there's there's either growth that's happened or maybe some challenges or maybe some things that you've tried and haven't quite been able to do yet and having that time at the end whether it's a stretch at the end of a class or a meditation or whatever sort of slowness you're allowing your brain to have between that class the energy of that class and your normal day is just really useful processing time Mm. so is it something that you actively went out and kind of you went out seeking to do a meditation qualification or it was something that just sort of fell because I know you said you already practiced yourself was it something that someone suggested to you or just you thought of it yourself um I mean the most millennial answer is I saw it on Instagram um and then I sort of had it at the back of my mind and thought oh do I want to do this or do I just want to keep it for myself like do I just want do I just want to do my own practice um and then I was talking to a business coach and she she just said well why the hell not like what why would you not might might as well um and I just went into it with the mindset that it could be something that I add to my um, either my my offering or offer to my clients or it could just be a great way of deepening my own practice and I think as I say this quite often to my clients it, it, as grown-ups it's quite rare that we do something that we're beginners at so that's hence why we tend to be quite hard on ourselves in terms of exercise and things like that because we're not used to not being great at something because mm. um, we've mastered most of the things we're trying to do at this point um and it's also rare that as adults we sort of plumb in any time for our hobbies um and we might still do things like I still go and sing but I don't make time to to uh, have singing lessons still and I would love to um so I think for me doing the meditation course was like me giving myself some time to get better at a hobby Mm -hmm. that's that's really good it's it's funny I was having a conversation with my husband today um, and I was saying how I have had to learn to just approach exercise very differently now that we've got we've got a baby we've got my daughter's just turned one and for a long time towards towards the end of my pregnancy when she was born I couldn't lift weights because one towards the end of my pregnancy I was big man I was like <laughs> the water weight was just uncomfortable um 
so I could do lots of stretches and like comfortable movement, but I couldn't weight lift. And then I just didn't have time when she was born. And when I did have time, I didn't have the energy. I was breastfeeding. It was just, there was not a chance. So now I'm getting to a stage where I'm getting a little bit of time a couple of times a week to lift weights, whether that's like 20 minutes between clients or whatever. But I'm having to approach it with a little bit of kindness and a little bit of, well, really I'm restarting because I can, I know all of the movements off the bat, but I can't walk in and deadlift like 60, 70, 80. Like I can't pick that up. So okay, I can deadlift, but you you know, it's okay to start again and it's okay to be a beginner at something. And I do think that's something that as adults, we really hate that. We really hate having to be a beginner and more so because of social media, it's, well, they can do it and they can do it better than I can do it. So why do I have to start at, at the bottom? And it's like, well, Einstein didn't just pull the theory of relativity out of his backside when he was born. He, he built his knowledge and, and developed and learned and all of these things, but we don't we don't acknowledge the journey. We, we almost always want to be at that final destination. So I, I do completely appreciate meditation because I do think for the majority of people who can sit there and do it and, and it's very, very helpful. Um, and I would say the way that you've described it, it's made me think a little bit differently about it already because I suppose there are things that I do that I wouldn't class as traditional meditation, but a lot of breathing that I, I, I do and stretches and that's yeah. for me, that is a calming effect and that is something that I find really useful. Definitely. And I think the the way I view it is, um, if you think in terms of therapy and you know that whole... Um, unhelpful slightly toxic exercises therapy mm. thing um which we know it isn't exercise can be therapeutic the yeah. same as doing whatever breathing techniques you're doing while you're deadlifting or mundane everyday repetitive tasks like unloading a dishwasher or ironing for some people can be meditative things they're not meditation but they can have similar effects um and I think it's like, it's a bit like a gateway drug. It's a useful sort of way in um, and just a useful tool to use to help your mind get used to the idea of maybe sitting a bit more still for a little while. And you know, it's been a long time since I've sat and meditated for 45 minutes and I used to be really good at it. And I'd have to, for my own practice, I'd have to build up. I've got really good at like 20 minute meditations that I can like, fit in and I know I can set aside that time and I know I will be able to find that time I also know that there's sometimes like at the moment actually for the last couple of weeks I've been feeling like a sort of bubbling low level anxiety constantly and I know that actually what I should do is just block out 40 minutes and and just you know practice that maybe I'll have 20 minutes of really good meditation and 20 minutes of my mind's wondering about okay and we'll bring it back whether it's visualizing the clouds or whatever um it's sometimes really hard to find the time um, yeah. and that's where you know just being kind and acknowledging that we're not all perfect and 
the yeah. people on Instagram aren't finding the time either they're probably posting something from three weeks ago it's that thought of like tell it when you're when your mind is so busy and your life is so busy to put time aside it's almost like that in itself can be anxiety provoking like I've got to have time for meditation I've got to have time for this and it's like obviously yeah. that's not the right way to think about it because it is an element of self-care and I suppose it's yeah it's just just to it's it, it is quite difficult it's difficult for some people but I suppose yeah. that's like with anything it's like with exercise as well you know it's it's for a lot of people trying to find time to exercise or to you know to move their bodies um they know that once they've done it it'll make them feel better and you know most of the time depending on the the scenario and um it's the same with with meditation really definitely and I think as we said earlier it's just about taking the rules away whether it's with exercise or meditation mm-hmm. we we have a lot of sort of we might not even realize we do we have a lot of preconceived or or pre-carried ideas about what exercise has to be or what meditation has to look like and it really doesn't have to be any of those things it doesn't have to be anything it doesn't have to be an hour long you don't have to be wearing active wear you don't have to be in a gym it it could be five minutes in your pajamas as soon as you roll out of bed Mm. and that still counts same as meditation it could be literally Sometimes my daily meditation will be listening to a sleep meditation. I'll fall asleep two minutes in, but I've still had two minutes of meditation. Yeah. And it's taken the rules away. It is more freeing, more enjoyable, and can then fit into your life. So do you find that since you started PT and to now, your attitude has changed like have you always been this relaxed around exercise and sort of that approach of weight inclusive and or have you sort of as the meditations been introduced and as you've learned more have you relaxed into it I have always been a weight inclusive PT my own relationship with exercise has definitely been on that on that journey of going from being really strict um and over exercising and also that whole sort of guilt trap of exercising or not exercising um as a pt i've as i said always always been weight inclusive um and actually have probably softened my approach um i think i used to be very anti-diet um and now I would use the term weight inclusive rather than anti-diet um I never push diets nor would I ever encourage them but if I had a client who wanted to lose weight I'm not going to tell them they shouldn't do that because Mm -hmm. I don't think that's weight inclusive um Mm -hmm. I think that's exclusive yeah Yeah. I think that's the thing it's 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 trying to get your head around that language again it's um and it's and it's it's quite natural when you first start rejecting diet culture to be angry and to be like no diets and and uh, to be fair I'm at that stage now (laughs) so I'm very like but then but then that's not to say you know it's it's anti-diet not anti-dieter however if you approach something with the term non-diet and if somebody's coming to your class for example that is dieting they can then not feel 
that it is inclusive because yeah, yeah. I so would still it, yeah sorry um I was having this conversation with another PT actually and I would I would say I would still rather a dieter come to my class than go to a diet culture filled yes. class yeah um because it may mean they think more about their approach may mean they soften their approach mm-hmm. or it might just mean they get an hour a week off <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah where they can feel a bit more free um I I've had weight loss clients for sure it's never something that I plug and it's never at the forefront of my practice um but I would rather a client who wanted to lose weight and who was who was chosen and educated themselves about that decision do it in a safe environment mm-hmm. I think it's naive to think that people don't want to because that is people want to lose weight and I don't see the problem in that I think it's the reasoning behind it which is what I say yeah Yeah. we always need to look at because I've spoken about myself I've gone from I was I was living in a fat body and now I'm obviously I'm quite slim um and I always used to think oh it'll be better when it'll be better when and and actually what happened was all of the anxieties, all of the stress, all everything was still there when I lost the weight. But I just now didn't have something that I could push it onto. Um, and I've, I've, I've got a couple of clients who do want to lose weight. And I would never recommend any sort of diet for them. I just let them go away and do it themselves. Um, one is doing it because she wants a breast reduction and she's got to lose weight to be allowed it on the NHS and a couple of others just wanted you to feel more comfortable in their clothes or because they feel better at a smaller size and I think that's absolutely fine um but when they ask me for my opinion on specific diets that's when it gets a little bit more um I don't want to say uncomfortable, but it's it's hard to navigate because I don't want to say, no, absolutely don't do that diet. One of my clients went to Slimming World for the first time last week and she was telling me yesterday, I just don't understand. Like, how can I can have as much potato as I want and as much pasta as I want, but I can't have as, as much, like, oats, I've got to weigh them out. So I'm not really sure what... And, and I was like, I can't win because I literally have no idea. I, yeah. I don't know how it works. And what's worrying to me about that client is she's an undereater already. Mm. So she struggles. We've always said the reason that she probably struggles to lose anywhere is because she just isn't bothered. So she'll have like, a piece of fruit during the day and she won't be bothered and then maybe she'll go home and she'll have beans on toast for tea or she'll have a jack potato and then that's it she's she's just not bothered and I'm like actually we need to be trying to like introduce a few more habits that'll get you to eat a little bit more so I think it yeah it's 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 just really difficult isn't it and you don't want to exclude anybody but you don't want to say the wrong thing or or encourage something that could end up being something negative and this is why the whole industry is so difficult to navigate and especially as a personal trainer when people look to you and they think you're a personal trainer okay well you can give nutrition advice no 
like we really can't I find a lot of people come to PTs because it's the service they think they want when actually they they either want a nutritionist or a therapist and Mm -hmm. they think they can get a three for the price of one deal (laughs) Um, and look I'm all down for talking about someone's problems or talking about the food someone's eating Um, but I can't guide you or help you or give you a solution to any of these things not qualified to do that um and it's a really hard yeah as you said it's a hard path to navigate for for us as the people training our clients but also for our clients who have grown up in the generation of celebrity personal trainer tells exactly what so and so's eaten to lose x amount mm-hmm. um and that sort of that that sentiment even is so um I've lost all the words <laughs> that sentiment makes no sense that personal yeah. trainer shouldn't be telling us what they've eaten they should be saying what workout they've done so yeah but also telling us that that workout won't have the same effect for us yeah um yeah no, that's what I'm thinking stepping outside just go for practice which is just happens way too often in in fitness you know in terms of nutrition you know the the nutrition is like GCSE level if that probably even less yeah. but if I'm honest it probably isn't even GCSE so yeah it's um but yeah. it's not just the nutrition is it I mean we could go on and on and on about the scope of practice but let's talk about back pain and let's talk about your muscles not firing correctly and we're not we're not equipped to deal with these things but I, I do imagine that when it comes to the therapist side of it the meditation probably has a huge benefit for your clients when they are in that state of mind where they do just need they just they just need to calm their brain down yeah and that's what I what I say to them I can I can take you through meditation or breath work as Hannah Jacoby PT or I can chat to you as Hannah Jacoby yeah and which one would help you more I'm not going to be able to give you any qualified chat but we can just chat about what what you're going through the same as I chat to my friends mm-hmm. um or I can coach you through it in the way that I'm qualified to do mm. but yeah I think it's maybe about losing your ego and just saying oh yeah, I'm not qualified to do that but here's someone who is mm-hmm. um yeah. and we work in quite an ego-driven world just a little bit so am I this is a a total change of topic but am I right in thinking are you vegetarian or vegan I am pescatarian okay with vegan tendencies I've been I've been vegetarian I've been vegan I've been an eater of everything I've been gluten-free I've been refined sugar-free I've been everything um I was vegetarian for a really long time and then I just was craving a bit of variety and I had no craving for meat um never eaten lots of meat in my house growing up um but I do really like fish um I thought actually if I add that in it'll give me one some more nutrients which is great um and just a bit more variety but I always say vegan tendencies because probably eight or nine out of the dinners I make are accidentally vegan (laughs) how so have you 
you just said that you didn't really have meat. Did you find that you had to change much of your diet when you were training or is it just a case of like because you were already eating that way? No, I've never been bothered. Like I've never got into the, and luckily I've never dipped into the, like the macro tracking mm-hmm. um, thing. I did use calorie count, which you could be eating absolutely anything or cardboard and still calorie count. And it wouldn't make that much difference, I don't think. Um, yeah, I don't really, I've become a bit more conscious recently about sounds so fitness wanker about upping my protein intake but that was because I realized I was barely having any um so I just I mean I look for like easy fixes in terms of protein I like a good protein yogurt for my breakfast and then I know I've had a good hit in the morning and if that's all I get then we're fine I don't I don't need to be eating a kilo per you know a gram per kilo of my body weight well, I don't know what I weigh anymore, so that could be an issue. Yeah. Um, but I don't don't need that much protein. So I, I aim for like one or two hits of protein a day. Like I just try to be sort of loosely aware. I like yeah. to eat colour. I like to make sure I've got some carbohydrates and fat and some protein on my plate. Yeah. And aside from that, I don't really pay much attention, mm. honestly. And it's taken me a long time to get to that point. Um, and to be able to even introduce those little habits of making sure I have different food groups on my plate um, because for a while that was that was too much control then it would be okay what size of what portion am I having and um, I'm you know and then I would stop stop with those rules for a bit until I felt sort of more neutral about them and I could just have some pasta and some lentil sauce that has some protein in and some cheese on top for some fat and that's that um please tell me it wasn't vegan cheese was it real cheese or was it vegan of course it's real cheese (laughs) of course I mean I say accidentally vegan most of the time it's like accidentally vegan with some cheese on top yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah. Um, uh, although sometimes I said one of my one of my uh still a food cupboard staple from when I was accidentally vegan for I did veganuary and like accidentally carried on for a few months um is nutritional yeast it's great Mm. like if I can't be bothered to make a cheese sauce if I'm just making dinner for me and I want like creamy pasta I just put like some oat milk and a ton of nutritional yeast in the pan and there we go super quick creamy sauce um yeah I mean I've never liked milk since I was a child so Mm. veganism is easier there Mm -hmm. um because I wasn't missing that so I've always had milk alternatives um yeah I just Mm. just eat in a way I enjoy it's funny that you say I feel like we always have to say protein because fitness wanker But, (laughs) but actually like as people who move a lot protein is really important not for the not just for the whole muscle growth and but because protein is like one of the best energy sources but because so many of us are trying to like step away from the whole or diet culture and we always seem to need to justify it with fitness wanker yeah yeah you do don't you it's like well but actually it's really important you oh, balance like, diet, just, isn't it? yeah just like fats and, and carbs yeah. and I, 
that was just that's the bit I do find really interesting because um personally I could never be vegan vegetarian I could be pescatarian quite I, I love fish but me I'm not overly bothered it's normally the like chorizo that kind of stuff that gets me I would miss See, I, I would don't, miss I don't that. eat that anyway because I'm Jewish yeah. Well, yeah. But I feel like if I'm not having the bits that people always say are the best, the sausages or the bacon or whatever. And there's no point. Then yeah. you're not that fussed. Whereas my sister is like, she's vegan. Um, and the cheese is the one thing where she's like, I don't even try eating the vegan cheese because yeah. what's the point? It just doesn't. But I find it really interesting because I think until you've been doing it for quite a long time, it is quite difficult to get all of those like nutrients in and especially as a trainer unless you've been doing it a long time you know what you're doing it must get exhausting <laughs> like if you, because yeah. if you if you don't get the right amount of of things in not that we're talking tracking but just even to get used to doing it in that, almost ticking the yeah. box of, have I eaten yeah. some of this today yeah, yeah I think it just requires a bit more planning and prep um, because it's not as easy as like bunging some chicken in the oven and there you go. Mm. Um, so it's knowing what sources of protein are good and are complete, for instance. Um, so like quinoa is a really good one that people don't really think about. That's a complete source of protein. Um, so I, you know, will just cook. So if I'm really organized, I'll like have some cooked and in the fridge. And then you can just like add it to a salad at lunchtime or add it to whatever. So it's just becomes a bit easier. But yeah, I think it requires a bit of education. And whether that's um, having a couple of sessions with a nutritionist or a dietitian or a nutritional therapist or someone qualified to do that, um, who can just educate you on good sources of whatever for your diet, um, then that's great. If it just means reading up and learning what is in your food or what nutrients are in your food um then that's great as well it yeah I would say anything apart from a sort of I eat anything diet just requires a little just a little bit more thinking about so when it comes to being Jewish I know um there's a few I've, I've seen on your Instagram there's been a few times where you've had to cut out certain foods um or I know that only for 24 hours but once a year you do have to actually fast um how how does that fit in do you do you find that quite frustrating I would imagine when you've got to cut things out and and you've got to forward plan a lot more um I would say I used to find so Passover is um is the festival where the um it's, it's just over a week eight days we cut out uh, anything that's leavened so you're thinking bread rice uh, not rice we can eat rice uh, bread pasta um things like that they're they're gone uh, and then there's all sorts of other little rules that you find stuff on ingredients lists that you can't eat during that festival um I used to view it when there's a great dieting opportunity, I was like, woohoo, none of us can have bread or pasta or these, you know, devil foods. Um, so I used to see it as a great opportunity. Um, now it's a little bit annoying and I miss pasta a bit. 
but it's absolutely fine. It's a nice way to add a bit more variety in. That's how I view it now. Um, making sure that I don't fall into the habit of eating pasta every night of the week because it's really easy. Um, it's, yeah, as I say, adding variety in is the way I view it. Um, I got into over lockdown, I got into the habit of meal planning anyway, just so I wasn't at the shops all the time um, because we couldn't be. So that has actually made things like Passover way easier um, just because you you have a plan and you know what you can and can't eat. Also, the because you take out quite a lot of food, um, you can only have certain dinners. So the meal planning is way easier because <laughs> you, you've got far less to think about. Um, yeah, I would say my mindset around that festival has really changed. It used to be a dieting opportunity and now it's an opportunity to add more variety or to shake things up a bit or to remind myself of rice dishes that I love or, you know, things like that that I wouldn't normally spend the time to make. Um, Yom Kippur, where we fast for a day, is always tough but it's only a day so in terms of making that making any adaptations I just don't exercise on that day and I'll be make sure I'm kinder to myself for the rest of the week after because I might be a little lower on energy or a bit more tired um so just taking things a bit slower if I need to for the rest of the week um I don't necessarily after about 11 o'clock I don't find the food difficult you'll have a couple of bits of a couple of moments of hunger it's still not drinking I find mm. not drinking really difficult and as you've probably seen I'm like surgically attached to my water bottle so I always within reaching distance um so I find the not drinking really hard um also because I'm singing a lot during those festivals um I, yeah the not singing is tricky but it's one day and I've grown up doing it. We don't, you don't have to fast if you're either unable or you shouldn't be for medical reasons or you're pregnant or, um, you know, whatever the reason might be, or you just don't want to. Um, never encourage anyone on a eating disorder recovery journey to, part, to fast uh, or someone with disordered eating habits. I wouldn't say they should be fasting. Um, so it's just something you do if you're comfortable to do it. And we've, even as a child, I, I would never, my parents would never make me fast as a child, but they would do things like, okay, so we won't have crisps or chocolate on Yom Kippur as your way of, you know, observing that, you know, something's different about today. Yes, mm -hmm. we'll take you out of synagogue to go and have your lunch and they watch us having our lunch. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, we wouldn't have treat foods, um, mm -hmm. which even now I say treat foods, I don't mean, you know what I mean yeah um foods that one might associate as more of a treat uh, than a chicken roll sandwich or whatever it might have been when I was seven um so we used to do things like that and then after I was about 14 13 14 um we would start fasting sure after you have your bar or bat mitzvah you're classed as an adult in the Jewish religion obviously you're not um but that's when, you know, that's when, when you're sort of able to decide for yourself if you want to fast. Um, and my parents would always make sure we had snacks in our bags. OK, so if you want to fast this year, that's cool. Take snacks. And if you want to eat it, it's absolutely fine. If you get really hungry or you feel shaky, eat it. If you get a headache, 
you, you need to take some paracetamol so have a drink of water um, and things like that so it's always actually learning from them or most about those intuitive habits and making sure you can can keep keep that intuitive those intuitive eating or intuitive movement techniques ticking over um in line with those religious things what time what time of year does young fall uh, it's, it's normally september october time they change every year okay so yes yeah, it's, it's coming up soon i i imagine that later in the year is a little bit easier for the fact that when it's cooler you're not as bothered about drinking not as thirsty yeah Yeah. and and sort of by nature of the festival I I am anyway in synagogue for most of the day um and I uh, I direct the choir actually at my synagogue so uh, I have a really good distraction technique I'm not just sitting in services all day thinking about how hungry I am I'm conducting music or um singing or whatever it might be so I found since I've taken on that role it goes much quicker. I'm I'm more distracted, so I'm not thinking about food. You sort of become unaware of what the time of day is, um, so you're not thinking, "Oh, it's one o'clock. I should be hungry. It's lunchtime." Um, it's yeah, it's easier with distraction. Yeah, because I I think like when obviously other cultures and and other religions have different festivals. So we talk about Ramadan, and I think. I was talking to one PT who had a client who was training through Ramadan and um, she said it depended on the time of year that it fell because obviously if you get Ramadan and it's like January we'll sun up to sundown it's not that long to fast but if you get Ramadan and it's July then yeah that's like hell because that is a long time to be fasting day in day out and not it's again for me I think it would be the same as you it's the drinking I don't know how you manage from sun up to sundown without having a drink all day yeah Um, I I couldn't do and it's the relentlessness isn't it Yom Kippur is 25 hours and then you're done yeah you have you'll have an early dinner the night before and then you're done so that'll be I'll probably eat at about 6 p.m and then we'll break our fast you do traditionally you do 25 hours to make sure you've done 24 <laughs> um, but also it depends what time the official fast ends as to sort of what time official sunset is and things like that um so our services will normally end about 7 p.m the next day so about 25 hours and then by that point you're not really hungry anymore you're just thirsty yeah. just thirsty obviously you then eat a load and it's bloody brilliant um <laughs> But it's the thirst. It's the thirst at the end of the day. Mm. I just found that fascinating. It's <laughs> such an interesting topic. And it's, yeah, it's interesting that you say the intuitive eating has almost come from your parents because of that, because of the attitude that they had around allowing you if you needed to eat, to eat. Because... Yeah, I would, I would say the intuitive eating in those contexts have come from yeah. parents in impossibly every other way and I've had these conversations with them I would say my disordered eating habits have come from them as I think a lot of us would say being around parents who dieted we would pick up on those rules it's nice then to almost as the 
as the child to be in the reverse position where you're educating them about something mm-hmm. um so you know making making parents intuitive eaters is is really nice <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of us like these days are because I, I feel like I know sometimes you do feel like you're in a bit of a bubble don't you with um sort of um stepping away from like diets and looking at intuitive eating um it, it does feel like sort of our parents they were very very much in diet culture and it is we're all sort of having that we're all sort of educating them aren't we and and actually and then it just hopefully means then that the next generation after us will then you know be be fine (laughs) hopefully we'll be well (laughs) they don't learn those lessons yeah Mm -hmm. definitely what you need to do Hannah is just develop some intuitive eating meditation technique (laughs) and then and then you've just covered all this all bases covered (laughs) yeah (laughs) Oh, well, it's been absolutely fascinating talking to you, Hannah, and thank you for taking the time out of your day. It's been really lovely. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's been lovely meeting you. And you. Thank you. Thanks so much. And we'll speak to you soon. Yeah, speak to you soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.